0: Nerds, we are back. We are beautiful. We are happy. We are hungover. Yay! Yeah, I have a, I have a science news today because Megan's going to tell our story.
1: I'm, I'm into it. I'm ready.
0: Okay, so I found this really cool article from Nat Geo. It is from May 11th. Cool. It's a nine minute read. I will paraphrase like we do and summarize this. Article is entitled The Biggest Living Thing on Earth is Being Nibbled to Death. Can it be saved? Oh, no. Yeah. So, you know, I bet there's a lot of people out there that already know about this, but I did not know anything about this. I don't know if you've heard of uh, quaking aspens. It's North America's most widely distributed tree.
1: I didn't know they were called quaking aspens. I feel like
0: it's a fun name. It is a fun name. Most of the time, they reproduce through cloning when you see like what looks like one tree is actually a collection of genetically identical stems oh. so it'll be one root and a bunch of trees okay so they have white trunks shimmering leaves mm-hmm. they're green in the spring and yellow and orange and pink or red in the fall i pink. love that
1: that's cool i just miss the fall colors i don't even remember it anymore we
0: just don't have that and they shoot up little suckers from a single massive root system, little suckers. Each clonal aspen stand is a single bean. A single aspen clone can cover less than an acre typically, but sometimes more, and in this case, much, much more. Mm. Sometimes a tree is its own forest, one tree. So we're talking about in South Central Utah, up around 9,000 feet along the Colorado Plateau, There's a stretch of national forest that has juniper and sagebrush, but there's also this peculiar, they say, Mm. aspen grove. And instead of like dozens or even a hundred of these clonal trunks, there are 47,000.
1: That's a lot.
0: Yes. And they're all connected by one single root. Isn't that insane? It's known as Pando.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that how that's a the local pronunciation there? (laughs) I just love it. It's called pando. That's so amazing.
0: Well, it's Latin for ice bread.
1: Oh. Oh yeah. Okay. That makes
0: sense. So this giant plant, it is a single plant, Mm -hmm. stretches across 106 acres. And it's that area is twice the size of New York City's Grand Central Station for people who can put that into some perspective. Let's just say it's real big. Okay. most people may have already known about this or heard about it. Mm-hmm. In 2006, there was a postage stamp. In 2014, Utah made the quaking aspens their official state tree. Lovely. And they've been managing the land there, you know, since the 70s when this guy walked around and was like, "These, these all kind of look the same. These all kind of <laughs> look the same, but I don't know." So, some cool little facts about Pando, the largest living being on earth thing thing. it's just i mean it's really wild right they say as far as anybody knows at least above ground there's no single living thing on earth that is heavier than this it weighs 13 million pounds so i guess they could be like if they just know the weight of a tree sure and they take a typical you know the average size and come up with that number but 13 million pounds and it's estimated to weigh three times more than the planet's biggest individual tree which is the giant sequoia in California knows the, known as General Sherman,
1: mm. which I think is kind of weird. But yeah, that tree is yeah. real big. Have you? It's a large tree. I've never, no. Have you been to Sequoia National Park? I have not. I've only been to the L.A. airport and then like our staging <laughs> hotel in L.A. Uh, right. That's it in California.
0: Mm. You know, just to our listeners, if you've been to Sequoia National Park and you have a picture with General Sherman, send it to us. Yeah, that would be We're cool. we to post that. Pando is roughly as heavy as 35 blue whales, a thousand elephants. What? Just stacking up elephants or all the people who attended the Super Bowl in
1: 2022. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's kind of funny. Yeah.
0: Each trunk in Pando lives 85 to 130 years. And as each dies, they have these new green shoots that come up. But the problem is, is now those shoots are being grazed by mule deer and cattle. Oh, no. There's this professor at, uh, of ecology at Utah State University. His name is Paul Rogers. He's also the director of the Western Aspen Alliance, and he's been studying Pando for a long time. In 2018, he reviewed 72 years of aerial photos and conducted as the first comprehensive analysis of the forest, and he found that more were dying than were coming up. Oh wow! It's slowly dying. There was another inventory in 2021, and that will be coming out. I guess it's not peer reviewed yet, Mm -hmm. Um, but it showed even more loss. So they say they don't know how old this growth is. Some have claimed it's 80,000 years or even a million years old, which is kind of crazy. But he said it's probably more like a few thousand years old or younger because it wouldn't have made it through the last ice age, which ended 12,000 years ago. Over time, and we kind of know this, like deer and other things, you know, people have basically removed all the predators. So we have more deer that are grazing in this area. And they say, especially because that's like a protected area and there's Mm. no hunting in that area. Mm. And so it's just really chill. And the mule deer are like, it's we're going to just stay over here.
1: It's yummy. It's
0: safe because nobody's trying to shoot us. Yeah. And but what the problem is, is, of course, they love those new little shoots. Mm -hmm. So this forest isn't regenerating. He says, imagine walking into a town of 50,000 people where everyone in the town was 85 years old. Oh, like Japan. That's kind of the issue. Yeah, so they need some they need some new blood around there. Oh. Originally, they found this stand in in the 1970s, there was a Michigan University of Michigan scientist named Burton Barnes. And he was the one that started comparing. He's like, hey, I think all of this is from one single root. And then later when they could do DNA, they took 209 stems from across that whole area. Mm-hmm. And that's when they could prove for sure that it was
1: one tree. One clones. tree,
0: one tree. Yes. Mm. In the 1980s, they did a little exper- experiment and they cut an acre like cleared, like a little like, you know, section of it. Yeah, yeah. And they looked to see if... It would regenerate, but nothing grew back. So in 1992, they did the same thing, but they put a fence around it. And that now is the most dense stand of the whole area. So it
1: really is the mule deer just like chomping down.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And we know it. It's a problem here, too, with ungulates that they it's really hard for the forest to regenerate because there's all these, you know, Mm non-native pigs and deer running everywhere in the area. There are a lot of ranchers Mm -hmm. that have rights to graze their cattle for two weeks a year in certain areas Mm -hmm. which i i think you know it's kind of similar to what we talked about at the
1: point ray is yeah Yeah, because this
0: is a national forest or Mm -hmm. protected area they can go in with their cattle walk them through but in that two week period that they can graze in that area it just wipes it out like there's a whole like all that growth is gone and then the mule deer also are an issue so what they're doing is they're trying to look at different ways. They're still trying to manage it right now. Mm-hmm. They've talked about ways to keep the deer out because they don't want to fence off that whole area. Yeah. Because it's just crazy. So they're looking at different ideas, fencing off sections.
1: They should uh, get some big predators up in there. Seriously. Release the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> just deers or deers, uh, just bears. Just like so so many
0: bears so many everywhere. Bears. But yeah, that's just the coolest thing. I want to see this place.
1: It seems really cool.
0: The largest living thing on the planet is in Utah. Weird.
1: And it's called quaking, quaking Aspen, quaking aspens.
0: I'm just saying, I did not know this. Probably a lot of you listening are like, well, I've been I've known that my whole life. Yeah, sure. I didn't know that. And I think I I knew this
1: before. It's fine.
0: But we got to figure out how to keep it going because that's just wild. Yeah. 47,000 trees from one stem. That's a lot. That's a lot of trees. It's crazy. Sorry, I'm still, I just it blew my mind. <laughs> so I learned something new today and I hope you all did too. That was great.
1: Yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah. That
0: so great. thank you so much, Jen. There wasn't really an ending to that because they're still trying to figure it out. Yeah. So go be a biologist and go over there and try and like. Figure it out. Do some stuff. So Megan, you have a story for us today.
1: I do have a story for us today. I was going to talk about bison, which is a listener suggestion. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to save that episode. And today we're going to talk about another listener suggestion. This is a suggestion by Mel uh, PNW Lorax on oh, Instagram. Yeah. So thank you, Mel, very much. This She's is also great. A Patreon. She is. That's right. I know. So today we're going to talk about a man named Percy Fawcett. Not like a faucet sink faucet, but F-A-W-C-E-T-T. Percy Fawcett was born on August 18th in 1867 in Devon, England. Mm-hmm. His parents were Edward Boyd Fawcett and Myra Elizabeth MacDougall. He went to Newton Abbott Proprietary College and he was classmates with the sportsman and journalist Bertram Fletcher Robinson, who happened to be good friends with Sir Arthur Conan, Conan Doyle later, who actually pops up in this story as well. Oh, nice. So there's such a lot of people who know each other in this story and they have names like bertram and percy and it's gonna be so good yeah uh, so percy's dad was born in india and later in life he was a fellow of the royal geographical society the rgs nice yes uh, he had an older brother edward douglas fawcett who was a mountain climber and eastern occultist and the author of philosophical books and popular adventure novels eastern occult occultist? like into the occult yeah the eastern M- mystical one. stuff i guess yes can, I we, didn't look can we
0: look into that? Sure. I'm, I'm
1: super curious. <laughs> <laughs> Percy was commissioned as a lieutenant of the Royal Artillery on July 24th, 1886, after he attended the Royal Military Academy in Woolwich. And he met his future wife, Nina Agnes Patterson, that same year. And then they ended up getting married in 1901. They had three kids, Jack, who was born in 1903, Brian, who was born in 1906, and Joan, born in 1910 good old Joan. He had a pretty notable military career. In 1897, he was promoted to captain and worked for the British Secret Service in Morocco. So basically, he was a spy, which is cool. In Morocco. In Morocco. He was promoted to major on January 11th of 1905. And later, he had a tour of duty in World War One, which we'll talk about. Okay. All the time that he's doing all this military kind of stuff, like whatever. Um, he's super into map making And he was really interested in the exploration of the world's unknown landscapes. And back in 1901, he had joined also the Royal Geographical Society, just like his dad. Around this time in 1901, he became friends with authors Sir Henry Ryder Haggard and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as well. Nice. In 1906, Percy made his first expedition to South America. He was 39 at the time, and he went to Brazil to map a jungle area at the border of Brazil and Bolivia, and this was for the RGS. Like, they paid mm-hmm. for him to go. Mm-hmm. They had been asked to map that area, I guess, because they were a neutral third party, and there was some kind of, like, something going on between Bolivia and Brazil, and they needed somebody to be, like, you know, neutral.
0: Right. There's there's always something going on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He arrived in La Paz, Bolivia in June of 1906, and a year later, he made a claim that while he was working on this mapping, he saw and shot a 62-foot, 19-meter-long giant anaconda. he told biologists this, and they were like, bullshit. hmm Because, I don't know if you know this, Jen, but the largest anaconda on record ever yes. in the world, a female anaconda, giant anaconda. 28 feet long, a girth of 44 inches. She was estimated to be over 500 pounds. So he's saying I saw and shot a 62 foot giant anaconda. That's like that's like, much larger. That's like it's two. Like it's basically like
0: basically from double. like the King Kong movie. Yeah,
1: it's yeah. one of those. <laughs> and they were like, no, 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 no. That's
0: not real. Yeah.
1: He also reported at that time that he saw other previously unknown and mysterious animals, including a small cat-like dog about the size of a foxhound, which he claimed to have seen twice, and the giant Apisauca spider, which is said to have poisoned a number of local people and is the size of a dinner plate. Oh. Which he actually might not be lying about that one or he might not be exaggerating. Or he's scared of spiders too. Yeah, exactly. Um, After this first expedition, Percy made seven more between 1906 and 1924. In 1908, he traced the source of the Rio Verde in Brazil and in 1910, he made a journey to the Heath River that's on the border of Peru and Bolivia to find its source and map that area. Mm -hmm. He retired from the British Army January 19th, 1910. He was 43 years old. In 1911... Percy went to the Amazon to chart hundreds of miles of unexplored jungle. And for this trip, he took his longtime exploring friend, companion, whatever, Henry Coaston, as well as a biologist and polar explorer, James Murray, who is thought to have died in February of 1914, trying to reach Wrangell Island up in the Arctic. But that's a whole nother story. In 1913, Percy, while he was on another expedition, claimed to have seen something that would have been considered a cryptid at that time. Oh. It's a dog with a double nose. Have you ever heard of these? No. Okay. But they're actually real. They're, they're now known to be the double-nosed Andean tiger hounds. And really? these I'm Andean Googling tiger right hounds, now. they are an extremely rare breed of dog. And it's not, they can't be found outside of Bolivia. That's where mm-hmm. they originated. They're actually bred to track jaguars. And not all of the breed will have the split nose, but many have two noses. So it looks like a like if you look at it from far away, it's just like a big nose. But when you come up close, it's like there's a split in between. They're actually two separate noses.
0: Oh, weird. No, yeah. I'm looking at it now. Is this is this right? Is it like that? Yeah, that's it. But why do these look like normal dogs with that nose? Anyway, yeah, it's like it's like a curly little nostril.
1: Yeah, like a little loop-de-loop. Yeah. Apparently it's thought that they have a more heightened sense of smell. I mean obviously they have a double nose, as compared to other dog breeds, they are not recognized by any major breed groups or kennels in the United States. And they were only formally recorded by Colonel John Blashford Snell in 2005 and again in 2007. And like I mentioned before, they were considered to be a cryptozoological animal. And I read a BBC article about Colonel Blashford Snell, his discovery. And in in the article, the chairman of the Scientific Exploration Society said the dog that he found named Zingu was, quote, not terribly handsome. He said this breed could be used for sniffing out mines or narcotics because they have an enhanced sense of smell. And then the colonel told reporters while we were there sitting by the fire one night, I saw an extraordinary looking dog that appeared to have two noses. I was sober at the time. And then I remembered (laughs) the story that the legendary explorer Colonel Percy Fawcett came back with in 1913 of seeing such strange strange dogs in the Amazon jungle. Nobody believed him. They laughed him out of court. The dog seen two years before. So in 2005, when he first saw he saw Mm -hmm. this dog named Bella. And then on the second trip to, in 2007, he saw her son, Zingu, this dog that, that he saw by the fire or whatever. Mm-hmm. That dog had just had a litter of puppies with another, in the article it says with a bitch, um, mm-hmm. that had a single nose. So the female that he mated with had a single nose. And so all of their offspring had different, I think two of them had double noses, um, two had a normal nose, uh, but the double nose pups died after three days after they were born. Huh. So I don't know. Maybe they're more fragile. They are smaller. Actually, they're physically smaller. These dogs. Right. Veterinary expert with a group examined Zingu to see if he had a cleft palate because that's what they were thinking is a cleft palate. Mm -hmm. But that was not the case. It's actually two separate noses. There is a chance that these dogs came from a breed with double noses that's known in Spain as Pancho Navarro, which were hunting dogs at the time of the Conquistadors. That's what Colonel Blashford Snell said. I think it's highly likely some of these were taken to South America and they continue to breed. They're good hunting dogs. He added that Zingu was quite an aggressive little chap who stood about 16 inches in height and loved salt biscuits, but wasn't a terribly (laughs) handsome dog. They're just like crapping on this dog's face. He was like ugly.
0: He was aggressive. But he was great. He was great. But we loved him.
1: I love this little part in the article. They're like, Zingu's best friend is apparently a wild pig called Gregory. And the two two (laughs) animals rule the roost in their village. What year was this written? 2007? Oh. Eight? It's recent. Yeah. I mean, not that recent, but it's recent anyway. Yeah. Other dogs snarl at Zingu because they can sense he's different. He's the smallest dog there, but he sees the other dogs off, Colonel Blashford Snell said. He's very intelligent and with a wonderful sense of smell, as you might think. The Bolivian army came and took DNA samples because they're interested in the breed. He's not the only dog like this. There are others in the area. And actually, the reason they were there to begin with is this Scientific Exploration Society. They were in Bolivia to investigate a crater that they found. It's like five miles wide. And according to Colonel Blashford Snell, he has now found evidence that this was caused by a giant meteorite which struck the Bolivian Amazon basin up to 30,000 years ago. He says he found the evidence of human habitation within 50 miles of the blast zone and believes these people were wiped out as a result of the meteor's impact. The explorers also carried with them a church organ from Dorset as a gift to local Bolivians in order to secure their help with finding the meteorite. And actually gifts and exploration are going to play into this story a little bit. All right. So back to Percy Fawcett. Okay. Uh, over time and after finding some of like the, these small pottery shards while he was out in uh, the Bolivian Amazon rainforest, he developed a theory that the ruins of an ancient city, which he named Z, or because he's British, Zed, they were somewhere in the jungle. He's, okay. like, he's like, I got to go find this ancient civilization. I know it's here. He believed it was a complex civilization in the Amazon region and that he would be able to find its ruins. Percy found a document known as Manuscript, Manuscript 512, written after explorations made in the Serrato of the state of Bahia. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm sorry. And housed at the National Library of Rio de Janeiro. This document is thought to have been written by a Portuguese band ranch named Jão da Silva Guimaraes. I definitely messed that up. Uh, Bandaranch literally means flag carriers. They were slavers, explorers, adventurers, and fortune hunters in the early colonial Brazil. And I will just call them colonizers. Wow. Slavers. Just straight up. Yep. Yeah, No worries. He wrote, so this guy, this band ranch, wrote that in 1753, he discovered the ruins of an ancient city that contained arches, a statue, and a temple with hieroglyphics. The city is described in great detail without providing a specific location, of course. Mm-hmm. This account really piqued Percy's interest. He's like, I'm super interested in this city, but it's going to have to be my secondary quest because I am trying to find the lost city of Zed. That's what I'm trying to do. Okay. It sounds like an alien city. It does. <laughs> I believe around this time, and I could be wrong about this, Percy wrote a book called Exploration Faucet, where he talks about all of this. Uh, by 1914, Percy had come to believe that Z, or Z was somewhere in the Mato Grosso region of Brazil. So if you remember, Percy had retired from the military back in 1910 when he was 43. But in 1914, World War I started. And he returned to Britain to serve with the Army as a reserve officer in the Royal Artillery. And he commanded an artillery brigade and then was promoted from major to lieutenant colonel on March 1st, 1918. And during this time, he received three mentions in dispatches from Field Marshal Sir Douglas Haig in November November 1916, November 1917, and November 1918. And he was also awarded the Distinguished Service Honor, June 1917. And I'm just going to mention this Sir Douglas Haig, because mm-hmm. I was like, why would we care? If Because I don't know a lot about World War I. I kind of fell asleep during that part of history class. <laughs> 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 and it's really sad. I just remember there were like trenches and everybody was miserable. There's this guy, Sir Douglas Haig. And I really wanted to know, like, what was the deal? Like, why was this important?
0: And every November.
1: Yeah, <sighs> every November, just in November. I did try to find the actual dispatches and you can you can see military dispatches from like old wars mm-hmm. in some places. But it was like a whole big list of them. And I was like, I'm going to have to go through all of these to find his one name. Like I'm not doing and people it. wrote really weird back then. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, never mind. In the years following the war, Haig was widely remembered as the leader of the victorious British Army. And his reputation was golden. Mm-hmm. When he died of a heart attack in 1928, he was awarded a state funeral and American General John Pershing dubbed him the, quote, man who won the war. Oh. So he was like super important in World yeah. War One. Mm-hmm. But then Haig's actions and legacy were reassessed following his death. So Prime Minister Winston Churchill and David Lloyd George both criticized his willingness to send men into the face of enemy fire, acknowledging that Haig's tactics led to an excessive loss of life and weakened the Allies. And then he was renamed the Butcher of the Somme. Oh so they God. were like, we love him. He's great. Now he's awful. Many also criticized his personal qualities, believing him to be egotistical, out of touch with the realities of modern warfare, and not intellectually up to the task in front of him.
0: Wow. So they waited till he was dead. And then they said... And in. then they were just like, actually, he sucked. He was awful. We just didn't want to say it when he was alive.
1: Poor yeah. guy. But I guess... More recently, there are people who are trying to rehabilitate his uh, reputation. Yeah. And they have acknowledged that high casualties were a feature of early 20th century warfare, and Haig's forces nonetheless played an important role in the Allied victory. So now they're like, whatever, everybody, it was awful. War is war. War is war. It sucks. Let's not hate him anymore. Yes. So I don't know what to think of that guy, but apparently he was super important. And it's important enough to mention that Percy Fawcett got these mentions in these notes yes dispatches from like what did they even say it was just like percy can you go get my coat or something i don't know yeah anyway uh, after World War One was over, Percy went back to Brazil to continue to study local wildlife and archaeology in his quest for Zed. Oh, and I forgot to mention that there was like in one of these articles, it was oh he went back and he was running this, he was commanding this brigade of artillery, whatever. But he, you know, he was so old; he was like in his fifties. Like it was this. I
0: was just gonna say, <laughs> isn't he in his fifties now?
1: Yeah. Okay. So right. World War One is over. Percy goes back to Brazil to study local wildlife and archaeology. Um, he's looking for. The Lost City of Z. Yes. And in 1920, he tried to do it alone. He was like, you know what? I don't even, I'm going to take this one horse. I'm going to put my stuff on it. I'm going to go into the Amazon by it's all myself. all I need. <laughs> all I need. It's <laughs> totally fine. But he got a fever. And then his pack animal, which I think was a horse, got sick. And he ended up having to put put it down. He had to shoot it. So he continued for the next four years to try and get funding. I mean, probably going up against uh, Shackleton during that Yeah, time. that's what I'm saying. I For mean, sure. it was
0: Shackleton and there were other guys. There's so many explorers. Yeah. It was and the age of
1: exploration. It definitely was. And remember, he's a war hero and apparently super handsome. Oh. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier. I don't think I did. He apparently had piercing blue eyes mm-hmm. and a roguish charm. Sounds amazing. Right. And in 1924, a London-based group of financiers known as, quote, the Glove, that's... Not Weird at all, gave Whoa. him money and he returned to Brazil.
0: They're and, actually a bunch of ladies.
1: <laughs> they're like, I mean, Good call. Yeah. They're
0: like, Who's the hottest? Let's give it to all that those guy. like Arctic or Antarctic exploration guys were mm-hmm. like missing some like parts of their nose, right? Fingers. But this guy, so, oh, I mean, they were
1: not looking too good. Yeah. Yeah. He's apparently very handsome. And so this time, he when he goes back to Brazil, he takes his oldest son, Jack, and Jack's friend, Raleigh Rimmel. And at the beginning of the expedition, Percy was said to have given instructions that if the expedition did not return, no rescue expedition should be sent lest the rescuers suffer his fate. Whoa. Yeah. Lots of folks were super interested in getting to go on this adventure. And there was uh, this one guy, T.E. Lawrence, who is a super famous adventurer, apparently. I didn't recognize the name, but he is known as Lawrence of Arabia.
0: Oh. And I was like, oh, T.E. Lawrence. Yeah, okay.
1: T.E. Lawrence. I get it. Percy wanted to bring people who he trusted and felt loyalty towards. Mm-hmm. He also wanted to travel really light so as not to be noticed by possible hostile tribes. Did he have a post like
0: out like Shackleton <laughs> that it was like. You probably will die. You will die. Let's go on this exploration. It's maybe be he, amazing. you
1: know what? Maybe he put that post up and then he was like, never mind. I don't want to be responsible for anybody else. I'll just bring my <laughs> kid with me. Right. It was not like a kid kid anymore, but, you know. Right. Like, yeah. And his friend, okay. maybe maybe his, his uh, son, Jack, was like telling his friend, like, hey, I'm going to go to the Amazon. It's going to be really cool. And Raleigh was like, cool. Yeah. Can I come with you? Like, I don't have anything to do this summer. Like, can I just tag along? Food, Good so. thing, jolly old chop. Like, that's how they talk <laughs> to each other. Exactly. Over tea. I was about to say, aye, I, I captain, but that's not right. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. And then lastly, it has been speculated that his son Jack also had this almost religious zeal, like Percy, for finding the lost city of Z. Mm-hmm. Like, they were kind of super passionate about it. Super Indiana like, Jones. Every time they have dinner, they just talk about it. And everyone's yeah. like, God, could you stop talking about this place? <laughs> they set sail from New Jersey. Random. In mm-hmm. January 1925, Fawcett said he vowed to reporters, We shall return and we shall bring back what we seek. And I'm like, What are you going to bring back? The whole civilization? I don't know. Probably like, why a are they piece leaving from red. Jersey? That's far. It's weird. They I have don't to know, go,
0: like all the way
1: around. Yeah. So they sailed to Rio de Janeiro. They hiked inland to uh, Cuiaba from there. And then they purchased pack animals, two horses, eight mules, and two dogs. And they hired two local guides. And I, Just wanna say that a lot of people were thinking that he wanted to travel light, but that seems like a lot of people to be in the jungle. That's that's an expedition. There's a lot of stuff going on. Wait, so
0: it's only him and the son the son and the son's friend.
1: Yes. So only three of them. Three dudes, but then he gets two local guides. So okay. So there's five of them, yeah, and then all these animals. Two dogs, eight mules, two horses. Eight mules? Eight mules. On April twentieth, nineteen twenty-five, his final expedition departed from Cuyaba. They took with them canned foods, powdered milk, mosquito nets, machetes, guns, flares, a sextant, and a chronometer, among their other supplies. Okay. It's like, what if they only brought those few things, but then all these mules with them? For they no have 39 reason? mules <laughs> right. to carry so, back that yeah. 100-foot anaconda. That's right. From one of the articles I read, it said, Swarming mosquitoes and blood-sucking gnats made sleep difficult and travel miserable, and Rimmel's foot became severely swollen from tick bites. Undeterred, Fawcett set a demanding pace of between 10 and 15 miles a day. During one leg, he got so far ahead of his young companions that he was forced to camp alone for a night. He's just showing off. Yeah, he's super determined. He's just like, I gotta get there. In late May of 1925, they made it to Dead Horse Camp. And that is the place where he shot his last pack horse when he went alone.
0: Hence, Dead Horse Camp. Dead
1: Horse Camp. On May 29th, Percy wrote a letter to his wife saying that he was ready to go into unexplored territory with only Jack and Raleigh. So they're going to leave the guides behind, I guess, at this point. That was his last known communication. Ooh. So two years later, January 1927, the RGS was like, so we think they might be lost.
0: What happened Just maybe. them?
1: And very soon after they made this announcement, it was like put out in newspapers, whatever, a ton of people volunteered to go search for them. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been many expeditions to try and find them or their camp or something, and lots of assumptions and speculation. The most popular is that a local tribe killed them. So there are several indigenous tribes in that area currently and at the time of their expedition. The Kalapalos were the last tribe to have seen them, but there were also the Arumas, the Suyas, and the Zavantes. Mm -hmm. They all had territory in that area. And just a little bit about the Kalapalo, because they're going to come up again in some of these stories. Uh, they are one of 17 indigenous peoples of Brazil who inhabit the Zingu National Park in the upper Zingu River region of the state of Mato Grosso, which is where he thought this place was. Okay. They speak the Amanap language, and as of 2010, they had a population of 569 individuals. The name Kalapalo was given to this group by white settlers in the late 19th century when Europeans were coming and going in that area. So the dialect of their language, the Amonap language, is considered. Um, I think it. They mean Caribbean, but it, I guess it's spelled Caribbean dialect, and it shows that they have not always lived in the upper Zingu. and based on their language and beliefs, it's likely that they came from southern Venezuela and they left the Caribbean area after after being in contact with uh, the Spanish, because uh, possibly to escape from the Spanish after experiencing violent contact sometime in the second half of the 18th century. Among the caribbean-speaking tribes uh, like these folks, they are known as the Aifa Otomo. Uh, that means those who live in a ripe area.
0: Ripe area? A
1: ripe area. Not riparian. Not riparian, <laughs> uh, but like a fertile land. Okay. Yeah. Before the creation of the Zingu National Park in 1961, the Kalapalos lived at the confluence of the Tanguru and Ku which are tributaries of the river Zingu. And since then the Brazilian government has convinced them to settle near the Leonardo station where they can get medical treatment for different things.
0: Why is it called the Leonardo station?
1: I don't know. Maybe Did maybe Leonardo
0: it's... donate some money? <laughs> oh,
1: maybe. Cuz he does. He does. It's true. I don't know. I didn't look up the That Leonardo would be pretty station. cool. That would be kind I of I want to get rich and there's like the Gen station. The Gen station. <laughs> the Yen station.
0: This is for Yen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She's amazing. However, they frequently return to their former villages where they can grow um, cassava and cotton and where they can gather shellfish for art and craft making purposes. Um, They actually have a really strict code of ethics. And this is a little different from the other indigenous peoples in that upper Zingu area. They have a culture that runs on the basis of sharing everything. Any public quarrels and fights are a serious violation of their code and are punished appropriately. The two most important social units in the Kalapalo are the village, number one, and the household groups. And the Kalapalo fish for their main source of food. They, use, they used to fish with nets, basket traps, and using bait to lure the fish in. Now, I guess with outsiders coming in, they use now more modern means of fishing. They have firearms, fishing gear, and razors. Just shooting them, just shooting the fish. The Kalapalo also grow piki fruit, maize, peppers, beans, and sweet manioc, which is uh, yucca or cassava, not tapioca. (laughs) The other thing, yeah. In the Kalapalo society, every adult is, is responsible for contributing food to the food supply. However, if they don't or they can't, they're still allowed to share a portion of that food. What an amazing idea! Wow. They might be disabled. They might be older. Yeah. But they still get a freaking share. That's right. I love it. They have a complex spiritual belief system that includes ceremonial dancing, practiced differently in different seasons. And some of the dances provide protection to the people through invoking animal spirits. So they believe that while they're dancing, Uh the animal spirits come down and protect them. They believe that if they only eat aquatic animals, it will bring them moral beauty. So they don't eat any land animals ever. Wow. Yes. Some members of their tribe compete in bow and arrow competitions, and they also have games such as wrestling, where the hosts wrestle guests from other tribes. And this is called egitsu, and about once a year, they have Yogos Indigenas, which means indigenous games. They're tribal equivalent of the Olympics, where people from different tribes convene and compete against one another in like different things.
0: They have like the three-legged race. Yeah. Potato <laughs> Just,
1: sack. The <laughs> egg on the spoon. Perfect. All that stuff. Yeah. At every ceremony, it's either the males or females that lead the dances, depending on the time of the year. And I thought this was super interesting. If it's the males turn to dance, the females are not allowed to even look at them. And like, same thing for when it's the female's time to dance. The males are not allowed to look at them. And if they do look, like take a peek, they get, they get beat up. Razored. Yeah, they get razored. Much of the time, women eat a special diet that they believe makes it easier for them to get pregnant. And actually... Calapalo women have an average of five children during their lifetime. So I guess that diet is like maybe working. I don't know. We need to get that. Well, I don't want to have five. I mean,
0: not for that reason. But I mean, it sounds like it's probably really healthy. Super healthy. Yeah. I'm just saying like Mediterranean diet, like keto. Let's try this one. Yeah. I feel
1: like they're pescatarians, right? Right. That's like a thing. Yeah. Both males and females gather food, which is different from the other surrounding tribes where mostly males gather food. Um, And if you don't come back with food, others will share with you as long as you don't always do that. Mm -hmm. So if you're like always kind of like the one guy who's like, oh, I couldn't find anything. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, Tom, every every time, every every time, not acceptable. So anyway, that's a little bit about the Kalapalo. They sound like awesome people. Super cool. Yeah. So now we're back with Percy Fawcett. Okay. According to explorer John Hemming, having an expedition party of three was too small and difficult to be able to survive in the jungle. He also thought that maybe they forgot to bring gifts to the tribes, which would Mm. anger them. Like gifts to the tribes is a very big thing. Yes. Others thought that maybe they got lost and died of starvation. 23 years later, a Kalapalu chief called Komatsi told his people that there were unwelcome strangers that had come and they killed them. Edmar Morel and Nilo Velazzo reported that Komatsi's predecessor, Kalapalo's chief, Izarari, had told them that he had killed Fawcett and his son Jack seemingly by shooting them with arrows after Fawcett allegedly attacked him and other Indians when they refused to give him guides and porters to take them to their Shivante enemies. And then this other guy, Rolf Bloomberg, said Izarari told them that Raleigh Rimmel had actually already died of a fever in another camp of Curicuro Indians. There are other accounts that both Jack and Raleigh were sick when they were last seen and that they died of natural causes in the Brazilian jungle. In 1927, a nameplate that had belonged to Fawcett was found with a local tribe member, but it turns out that the nameplate was from a previous expedition and it was given as a gift to a tribal chief. Okay. And then in June 1933, Percy's compass was found near the Bakari tribe of Mato Grosso by Colonel Anchetto Bothello. It had been left behind before he even went into the jungle on his final journey. Hmm. So everybody's like, we found this, we found that, but it's like not really anything. There are some questions about the coordinates of dead horse camp that Percy gave to his wife. Apparently, they are different than the coordinates he said that were the actual camp. In a letter to his wife, he wrote, Here we are at dead horse camp, latitude 11 degrees, 43 feet south, and longitude 54 degrees, 35 feet west, the spot where my horse died in 1920. In a report to the North American Newspaper Alliance, he gave different coordinates. So there are three theories about that. One is that it's just a typo. You know, someone screwed up. Either he miswrote it or they mistyped it. Um, The other is that he was trying to hide where he really was in case there were other explorers trying to get to Zed first.
0: Because, you know, you got to
1: be the first one. And then the last one is that he may have been trying to thwart any rescue attempts because he thought there there would be too much risk for rescuers. So Mm -hmm. maybe he knew he was going to die and wrote that to her and threw her off the course. I don't know. Anyway, explorer Henry Koston, who had been on trips before, if you remember, he had thought that there was no way Percy would have been killed by native tribal members because, as it turns out, he was on really good terms with local tribes, which I'll talk about in a minute. He believed that the group had died from lack of food or exhaustion. And there's a false account saying that many, many groups of folks who went to find him, it's like a hundred people, a hundred different people that had gone out to find him had all died in the attempt. But it's not true. I read it actually in a couple articles. They like say, oh, apparently a hundred people died trying to over the years, over the like decades of people trying to find him. Uh, But actually only one person who went alone and tried to find him died while he was looking. The first official recovery expedition was launched in 1928 by the Royal Geographical Society's George Miller Deut. He was convinced that the expedition had been killed by the alloquy, I think I'm saying that right people, but he had no hard evidence and was unable to locate anybody. So he was just like out there like, oh, yeah, these people killed him, whatever right. Making up stories. His wife, Nina Fawcett, told reporters there is consequently still no proof that the three explorers are dead. She remained hopeful for her son and husband's return until she died.
0: That's what I was just thinking. You know, it's like she lost two very, very important people in her family. Yeah, yeah, to her and her family. It's just um,
1: very sad. It's very sad. From 1930 to 1931, Aloha Wanderwell used her seaplane to try to land on the Paraguay river, river in the state of Mato Grosso to find him. After an emergency landing and living with the Bororo tribe for six weeks, Aloha and her husband Walter flew back to r- Brazil with no luck. So that happened. Mm-hmm. In 1951, Orlando Vias Boas, I don't, I'm probably saying that really wrong, I'm sorry. He was an activist for indigenous peoples. He supposedly received the actual remaining skeletal bones of Percy and had them analyzed scientifically. And at that time, it says that the analysis confirmed the bones were Percy's. His younger son, Brian, wouldn't believe it. He was like, that's not true. And then this guy, Orlando, was like, Well, Brian's not interested in knowing the truth because he wants to make money off of his father's disappearance by writing books and mm-hmm. like whatever. Um, later, scientific analysis confirmed that the bones were not any of the three of the group. Oh. As of 1965, the bones had been in a box in one of Orlando's brother's apartments in Sao Paulo. Just chilling out. Nobody knows whose bones they are. That's so creepy. (laughs) So creepy. Orlando's supposed account from a tribal member is that the Fawcett expedition group had a mishap on the river and lost most of the gifts they'd brought along for the tribes. And then they continued without the gifts, which is a serious breach of protocol. Because they were all seriously ill at the time, the Kalapalo tribe that they encountered decided just to kill them. Like they didn't want to get sick and they also didn't have gifts. So they were like, yeah, we're going to kill them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
1: I kind of believe that. Yeah. Yeah. The bodies of Jack Fawcett and Raleigh Rimmel were thrown. This is the apparent story that Orlando is saying is that these two bodies, Jack Fawcett and Raleigh Rimmel were thrown into the river because they were young and no one cared. And Colonel (laughs) Colonel Fawcett, (laughs) who was considered an old man and therefore distinguished, received a proper burial. He's saying that the boys were just chucked into the water and then Percy was given a formal burial in some kind of grave in this Kalapalo tribe. In the 1960s, there was a Dutch explorer and journalist, Arne Falk Roan. After hearing all of this story from Orlando, he went to call the Kalapalo tribe and reported that one of the tribes tribesmen confirmed the story. And I think actually wrote a book in like 1991 about it. In 1979, Fawcett's signet ring was found in a pawn shop and a new theory arose that they were robbed and killed by bandits and the bodies were disposed of in a river. Whoa. In 1996, a team of faucet hunters led by a wealthy businessman named James Lynch. They were captured by Amazonian tribes and held for ransom. They only escaped their lives after giving up $30,000 worth of equipment. I'm like, what is that equipment? Just video cameras. In 1998, English explorer Benedict Allen went to talk to the Kalapalo people, um, and he found an elder named Vajuvie. He claimed during a filmed BBC interview with Alan that the bones found by V.S. Boas Orlando 45 Mm -hmm. years before were not really Percy's, and he denied that his tribe had any part in any disappearance of that expedition.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: In 2003, a Russian documentary film, The Curse of the Inca's Gold, Expedition of Percy Fawcett to the Amazon, was released as part of a television series called Mysteries of the Century, and this film concludes that Percy may have been looking for the ruins of El Dorado a city built by more advanced people from the other side of the Andes, and that the expedition members were killed by an unknown primitive tribe that had no contact with modern civilization. I don't know how they came to that conclusion. Um, Incidentally, in 2003, local Kui Kuro people and U.S. archaeologist Michael Heckenberger, which, can we just for a minute, Heckenberger? That's such a freaking great name. It's great announced the discovery of a massive pre-Columbian settlement in the Zingu Basin of the Amazon. It is eastward and upstream of where Percy was last seen.
0: Hmm. The complex
1: of large urban centers and small villages, complete with plazas, road systems, and aquaculture, is called Kuhikugu. There are remarkable consistencies between Kuhikugu and the lost city of Z that Fawcett was describing. So they think that he was probably like on his way there. uh uh-huh. Which is, yeah, kind of sad. Like, hopefully he made it. I don't know. It is estimated that upwards of 50,000 people once lived there, dating from 1,500 to 400 years ago. Most likely, the population was decimated by the arrival of European conquistadors and the diseases they brought with them. Gosh. Good times. Just so much diseases. All the diseases. Yeah. On March 21st, 2004... The Observer reported that television director Misha Williams, who had studied Percy's private papers, thought he didn't intend to return, but planned to commune in the jungle and that it was related to this intense passion and like zealotry him and his son Jack felt for the lost city of Zed, that they just were like, we're going to be in the jungle forever now. Williams actually wrote a play called Amazonia about this idea. And it was first performed in April of 2004. And I say Amazonia that way because it's spelled capital A-M-A, capital Mm Z-O-N-I-A. Yeah. In 2005, the New Yorker staff writer David Gran visited the Kalapalo tribe and reported that it had apparently preserved an oral history about Percy, saying that the group had stayed at the village, then left heading eastward. The Kalapalos warned them at that time that they would be killed by the, quote, fierce Indians who occupied that territory, but they insisted on going. The Kalapalos observed smoke from their campfires each night for like five days and then no more. So now Mm. there's another theory that they were warned, but they were killed by this other fierce tribe of random Indians that were out there in the jungle. And I say Indians because that's how he reported it, I guess. Right. Like This fierce Indian group. Grant's findings are further detailed in his book called The Lost City of Z, which was published in 2009. And in 2016, James Gray wrote and directed a film adaptation of Grant's book with Charles Hunnam. He's like kind of a hot British guy. And he played Percy. Nice. I mean, appropriate, honestly. I came across this blog spot. Please consider the source. It's somebody's opinion. Just writing in here. But a friend Mm -hmm. of Orlando V.S. Boas wrote. Orlando, who died in 2002, was a Sertanista, a kind of wilderness explorer specific to Brazil. This is a quote. "And the country's Indian ex- expert par excellence. He spent many years living among the tribes, spoke their languages, established first contact with many of them, and was instrumental in determining a just government policy toward all indigenous peoples. I knew Orlando Villas-Boas personally. He was neither a liar nor a boaster, and his life was packed with more adventure than that of anyone I ever knew. Why then should he make things up? Orlando claimed, and I believe him, to have heard the true story of what happened to Fawcett from one time from one of the murderers, a member of the Kalapalos tribe. Gran visited the Kalapalos in 2005 and got a, quote, oral account of the incident. Orlando was there 54 years earlier in 1951 and spoke to people who were there at the time. Both accounts agree in some regards. They agree that Fawcett and his men stayed in the village of the Kalapalos. They agree that Fawcett and his companions had a mishap on the river and lost most of the gifts they brought to placate the, the Indians. They agree that most of the members of Fawcett's expedition were sick by the time they contacted the Kalapalos, and therefore a danger to the tribe. Then the two accounts began to differ. According to Gran, the expedition set off to the eastward. The tribesmen, he said, warned Fawcett not to go that way because the region was inhabited by, quote, fierce Indians. But Fawcett decided otherwise and disappeared. End of story. Grand, however, does not relate and perhaps never discovered three additional Uh, precipitating incidents and those incidents for Orlando vs. boas were of more moment than sickness and or the absence of gifts. According to Orlando, number one, Jack Fawcett, Percy's son, urinated in the river upstream of the village, upstream of where the Kalapalos drew their drinking water. It was an affront to the entire tribe to do so. Number two, (laughs) One of the members of Fawcett's expedition shot a small animal. They brought it into the village and hung it up by a cord to preserve the meat from insects and small scavengers. One of the Indians came along and tried to remove a piece of the meat. An expedition member pushed him away, another affront. The Kalapalos share food. Not to do so is unacceptable behavior. I'm just going to stop for a second, but it's a land animal.
0: Also, yeah, that doesn't sound right. I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, well, maybe they were offended because they killed a land animal. Right.
1: But all of these are just like tragic Peace Corps moves. (laughs) Hardcore. Number three, a small child approached the white men and started playing with their goods. They pushed the child away. The child came back and did it again. One of the white men in the European custom of the time struck the child. And that was the greatest affront of all. The Kalapalos never strike their children. That final incident, according to Orlando, sealed the fate of Fawcett and his men. The Indians waited until the next morning, allowed the expedition to get some distance down the trail, and then ambushed and killed them all. Orlando told me one more thing. In those days, he said, the Kalapalos didn't lie. They disassembled, but they never told an untruth. He asked a direct question for which he didn't receive a direct answer. Thus, he knew from the get-go there was something afoot. It took him, he said, hours and hours of conversation to extract a frank account of what had really happened. That's what they're saying. That they just did a bunch of stuff that was really, really awful. Yeah. And they were sick and gross and... They were like, that's it. These guys are done. Some fun facts about Percy Fawcett. Okay. Percy was outspoken in his disagreement with the treating of tribal people like savages. In fact, he was known for his respectful and humble approach to working with tribal peoples. He had learned to bring gifts to honor the elders and to ensure safe passage through hostile territories. There's like a whole thing about how he was this great explorer and that he took this time to get to know the tribes and that he was well-respected all those years he was there before.
0: But maybe his son and the son's friend like effed it something. up.
1: Yeah. So I, it's I, it's so hard to figure out which account is true. Like mm-hmm. so many options. There are a lot of options. <laughs> and uh, yeah, assumptions and suppositions, all these things mm-hmm. that you're like, I don't know, but they died. I'm pretty sure either way. Or they entered the twilight zone. (laughs) they went into the twilight zone, exactly. Anyway, and I don't know if you caught on. Like I mentioned, Percy was a hot dude. He -hmm. was also scared of snakes. He was also an explorer and archaeologist of sorts. Allegedly an inspiration for the Indiana Jones films.
0: Oh, okay. All right, there it is. He's
1: thought to be, yeah, an inspiration for those. He's also thought (laughs) to be an inspiration to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, book, The Lost World. One of my favorite theories about his disappearance, though, this is the best one, is that he succumbed to dementia and took over as tribal chief of a cannibalistic tribe. Perfect. (laughs) I'm like, that one's really great. That's it. Nailed (laughs) it. I love it. (laughs) Best ending to the story. (laughs) Done. Done. We don't need to say anymore. Exactly. And actually, now we are here to our organization to support. Awesome. (laughs) So today, I would like us to support Amazon Watch. You can find them at amazonwatch.org. Amazon Watch is a nonprofit organization founded in 1996 to protect the rainforest and advance the rights of indigenous peoples in the Amazon Basin. We partner with indigenous and environmental organizations and campaigns for human rights, corporate accountability, and the preservation of the Amazon's ecological systems. I feel like that would make everybody happy. And originally, I had found a different organization to support it did not come up on Charity Navigator, and it seemed real suspicious. So I was like, never mind that. And I went with this other organization, Amazon Watch. They have like a four out of four. Excellent place to donate uh, rating on Charity Navigator. Nice. Yeah.
0: And mine that I did for the Yossi Ginsberg was Amazon Conservation.
1: So many options.
0: A lot of options out there. Excellent. That so was a great yeah. story. Thank you very much. But that um, I feel like this
1: should be an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Absolutely. Maybe we should send this in. We should. I I wonder if they've done it yet. And it's so funny you mentioned Unsolved Mysteries. You were like, you should listen to their podcast. And Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say it is excellent. It's so good. I downloaded so many episodes. The music
0: is there. The voice. The voice. It's just there's something very soothing about it, especially if you're from the. That era. Our age (laughs) era. It's like because, of course, I used to watch Unsolved Mysteries. It's so good. Because it's like a lot of different stuff, right? You got some unsolved
1: crimes, Murders, crime, you got some ghost stuff, Paranormal. you got, some, par- yeah, you got yeah. some UFOs. It's so it's great. Cryptids. This could be because there was a cryptid in this story. Totally. Who's no longer a cryptid, which makes you think like, oh, maybe there are other cryptids. So thank you for listening to that story. And Jen, we are at the part of our episode where we talk about our emergency preparedness kit.
0: Yeah, I you know, there's so many theories here that mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to know what he needed because did he go to another dimension? Right. Did he die of starvation? Did he die of starvation? Was he just murdered and buried? Was he thrown in the river? Like so many options. I like True. to think that he is, it's living in this, you know, the city of Z just ruling the shit out of it. Zetting out. Just zetting out or at least like, you know, enjoying some piece of that. Sure. In his, the rest of his life. His reality. Yeah, because to me, it did, it does kind of seem like he didn't when you say if I'm
1: lost, don't send anybody. It seems a little like I'm not planning on coming back. Yeah. And actually, speaking of unsolved mysteries, I listened to one recently where a guy was like, the aliens are going to come and take me home. Uh-huh. And he left. But he had told everybody, hey, I'm going to be back in six months for me. Yeah, But for you guys, it's going to be like you're going to be dead already because time is different for me with the aliens.
0: That's when your friend or uncle or whoever, I haven't listened to
1: that episode yet. I'm Mm -hmm. kind of
0: excited. That's when you're just like, okay,
1: (laughs) Like some guy just shows up 20 years from now and he's like, hey, my name is Percy Fawcett. I went to this lost city. Here's my son, Jack.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For us, it's been like you know, a year, but it's actually been a hundred years. Right. That would be kind of cool. That'd be insane. What if that happens?
1: I mean, it will be a hundred years in uh, in like three years. Wow. Yeah.
0: So I'm thinking, you know, they had, regardless of what happened, mm-hmm. there was just like one calamity after another, right? I mean, Definitely. they just had a lot of issues. Things were not going well. They were pissing off the, you know, the tribes. Possibly,
1: literally pissing
0: in P- their water. Literally yeah. pissing in their water. <laughs> Killing some land animals. Not cool. It's, you know, and probably not realizing they're in an area that they shouldn't be doing these things. Mm-hmm. You know, it, anyway, I'm just saying things weren't going well. Yeah. They lost all their gifts. They had a case and of I the think Mondays. That, <laughs> are you having a case of the Mondays? <laughs> I think that the one biggest downfall was losing the gifts. Agreed. I feel like that would have to be in the emergency preparedness kit. And in his case, the best thing would have been his golden RGS pen, right? Or some yes. RGS swag. A hat. A hat.
1: The belt buckle. A belt buckle.
0: I mean, I feel like all of these things could have gone a long way as a gift for sure. I mean, and he could have really played that up. His mm-hmm. special card.
1: He that... could have been like, this is priceless. Yes. So special. I'm just
0: saying some RGS
1: swag that as is a gift. The best gift.
0: Some RGS swag. Yes. That's great. That's what I'm going with. You wear it on your body. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's going to take up a lot of space in your emergency preparedness kit. True that. But I feel like the value, endless.
1: Astronomical.
0: There can be no value placed on that <laughs> because it's...
1: Maybe it's a RGS backpack. Oh, my God. I mean, honestly. Or
0: what about an RGS vest? You know, like an explorer's vest? Like a
1: birder's vest. With all the pockets. And it just pockets. has all the pockets. And it's like, it has the airflow thing in it. Who so wouldn't you're like, want cool. that? Oh, yeah. No, I want that
0: right now. I mean, maybe they just killed I mean, them for it. Agreed. Anyway, that's what I'm going with. I like it. Yes. Some RGS swag. RGS that's, swag. That's perfect. Okay. But thank yeah. you. That was a great story. I loved it. I remember seeing that request. Yes. And like... For some reason, I thought it was going to go cannibal.
1: Right. Well, I mean, it might have. Well, and I think that's a whole nother episode. For sure. So don't worry. For sure. I do have one little last thing, and I didn't know if you wanted to listen to it or not. I tried to watch The Lost City of Z, the movie that oh. came out um, not so do have, long ago. Do we have
0: a trailer. To we, have, we have a trailer. Oh, my
1: God. We have a trailer. I just wanted to I'm going to maybe have you look up the trailer so okay. that you can look at it because I've already seen it. And yeah, I think we should listen to, look at the trailer. It's kind of fun. Again, I feel like they chose a good actor. I don't, I feel like I've seen this actor and other things. Charlie Hunnam, who played Percy, he is uh, yeah, a very handsome guy. Lost City of Z. Lost City of Z. 2017. Uh, just FYI, it was not available on Netflix or Hulu, so I did not watch it yet. All right, some intense music.
0: To dream. To seek the unknown. To look for what is beautiful is its own reward. A man's reach should exceed his grasp. Uh-huh. Or oh, what's a heaven for? You are the explorer? Give me a hint.
1: Ooh. I wish
0: to find a lost
1: city. Some occult stuff. Okay. What you seek
0: is far greater than you ever imagined. It is your Destiny. Destiny. This looks pretty good. It does. I know you when you oh, that's life the wife's wife. All of us. The environment's difficult. I don't know what they mean by that. What? oh that's a that's like they threw something else in there just to make yeah. it more spicy. Yes, yeah, drama. Yeah. I wonder if he ate some monkeys. We may oh. find a hidden civilization
1: where one was considered impossible to exist. We may well write a whole new chapter in history. Oh. Said,
0: <laughs> College said. and we
1: must find it. Oh, that's how he got his money. Passion. Oh, that's it. That's it. Wow, it looks good, though. Yeah, no, it it looks really good, actually. And I was disappointed to not find it on any streaming service currently. I mean, I think you can probably can buy it on like Apple or something. I'm trying to decide, is it worth it? So, yeah, um, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You're Going to Die Out There is produced by us, Jan and Megan, and edited by Jonathan Pillsbury.
0: We'd love it if you can leave us a five-star iTunes review on Apple Podcasts.
1: You can support us by following on Instagram or Twitter, listening and subscribing wherever you get podcasts or becoming a patron. Check out more on our website at
0: you're going to
1: where you can see our
0: awesome eco-friendly sponsors and nature nerd artisans page.
1: If you'd like to send us your own stories or episode ideas, you can submit them through our contact form on the website or to our email. You're going to die out there at gmail.com. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye. that's so amazing
0: well it's latin for i spread oh oh yeah okay that makes sense but i'm also a little like
1: don't call me pando it just makes me think of panda my cat who is very pando you know what i mean
0: yeah and he spreads he (laughs) spreads i spread i don't know i love it spread butter (laughs) do you just yourself. Spread yourself.
1: Everywhere. He puts his butt on all the all the surfaces.
0: Right. And let's not go anywhere else with that. Yeah. We're just going to stop it right there because <laughs> is a family-friendly show. What? I mean, they were doing this stuff around the same time, so yeah. it's really interesting. I wonder if
1: they ran into each other.
0: I know, right?
1: I mean, they're all explorers. Were they
0: trying to get funding from the same people? Guaranteed. But, like, Shackleton was the cold guy, and right. this guy was
1: going to the amazon he's like putting in his funding and he's like i know i'm not going no i'm not going to Antarctica. i'm just he's I'm like trying to go to the amazon <laughs> 100 foot anaconda need i say more please i need cash <laughs> 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 to buy a very large gun uh anyway arrow, I mean, arrow in
0: your head right i've been Done.
1: to i've been to a convention where there's like a really cool swag item and you get up there and they're all gone and you're like come on i'm out
0: I came here. All, I came all the way here. for. The, I came all the way from Guam for this swag. <laughs> What's happening right now?
1: I just wanted that bottle opener, man. <laughs> it looks like We well, could rent it. Yeah. You don't need to but buy it. But then I it. always feel like if I rent it, right? Yeah, you have it for like two days. But what if you spend that extra $10 and you just buy it? Then you just have it for whenever you're going to watch it again. I mean, that's always the question, right?
0: Right. When it's kids' movies, yeah. I buy them. Oh, for sure. Because I know
1: my kids will watch it. A thousand times. Yes. And but then one day your grandkids.
0: I hope so because I we have like a hundred movies now. <laughs> and I'm like, they don't watch half of them anymore because they've outgrown them like Shrek.
1: Yeah. Who outgrows Shrek though? I don't That's know. It's a great movie. Listen. Get it together, kids. I know. I'm
0: like, guys, yeah, you want to watch Shrek? And they're like, no, mom.
1: <laughs> we like other movies. Like I mean, yeah, Damien was super into um the one with the ice why am i not frozen, frozen. <laughs> yeah we just, uh, maybe i could sing it real quick that was the worst uh. no you know because at the end like if you buy the dvd because we bought the dvd when we bought the dvd he loved my son loved to sing all of the versions of that song because uh. you know you can listen it's like it's like in tagalog it's in japanese it's in like uh mandarin did you know that no there's yes and he learned them all yes and you were losing your damn mind. And we would watch it and then he would want to watch all of the music videos. Oh, yeah. And it was the same song over and over and over. And I was like, I'm going to lose my mind. I mean, luckily he grew out of that, but still we have the DVD. So I'm like, what am I going to do with this DVD? Just just
0: and give it away.
1: I never want to see that movie again. Never. <laughs> never.